The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, uh, welcome to another edition of Health Kick. I'm Tim Boreham. Today, we're getting really topical and talking about a certain virus. Uh, yes, that's right, the uh, coronavirus and a company called Biotron. If you haven't guessed already, uh, Biotron is all about combating virological diseases. Uh, and I've got CEO Dr. Michelle Miller with me to talk about what the company's up to. Biotron has been around for a while, uh, but it first came on the investor radar for its novel treatments for hepatitis B and C, uh, and then uh, HIV. The company is also interested in uh, dengue fever, Zika, and the common flu, uh, and this list isn't exhaustive. In September 2018, the shares rose more than tenfold uh, after trial results, showed that its compound, its lead compound, uh, which is called BIT-225, killed rather than just suppressed uh, the HIV virus cells. And uh, no other drug at this stage does this. But Michelle, uh, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks, Tim. It's good to be here. Excellent. We just have to start with the uh, coronavirus. Uh, I want to ask you, uh, should we be afraid or, or very afraid or, or, or more just fearful of our uh, own fear over all of this? Well, I think maybe that latter. I think um, there's a lot of hype around it and certainly a lot of um, fear mongering around the place. But it's a virus certainly that needs to be taken seriously. Anything that um, spreads as this one does and is causing um, deaths the way it is, is something that does need to be, you know, certainly the way that the international um, medical and scientific community is reacting to it is an appropriate one. Um, I think we've seen that WHO have put out particular um, warnings about it, um, the travel things that are in place. So the main thing is trying to contain it. Uh, I think that if you're an elderly person, you're more at risk, but maybe it's no more severe in terms of um, fatalities than the seasonal flu. I'm not sure how many people the the, uh, the flu kills, but I think the uh, coronavirus has uh, yeah it killed about 400 to 500 uh, uh, so far. Um, but um, I think the, I think the the, the flu seasonally kill, kills many many more. Well, that's right. The, the flu, you know, they call it what the old person's friend, which is a pretty horrible term, but it really is responsible for a lot of fatalities in elderly people who are immunocompromised. And that certainly is a, is a virus that scares me um, more than this current one. But, you know, that being said, we have seen outbreaks um, of other coronaviruses in the past, SARS back in 2003 that had a very high fatality rate. But the reality was that that ran its course quite quickly. And we haven't really seen a resurgence in that. And over the last few years, there's been another coronavirus in through the Middle East called MERS, um, COVID, yeah. which also hasn't really had you know a lot of um, a, a lot of impact. So I think we just have to still wait to see how this current outbreak 
plays out, whether it dies a quick death, uh, which I think we all hope it does, so everybody can go back to their normal travel and go back to normal, or whether it will expand, or whether it will become a seasonal um, a seasonal outbreak in the way that the flu does. We, but I think the international community is taking the right steps to be to be ready. I guess one of the confusing things is that the, as I say, the, um, the the MERS and the SARS were sort of a strain of coronavirus, and it's also a strain, I think, even of the common cold. Um, so it kind of uh, it kind of needs its own name, and uh, mm-hmm. I read that. Uh, the scientific community are working on this, but uh, I'm just wondering, how, how do you go about naming a virus? I, I look, it's actually quite interesting. I was reading an article on this actually last night, saying that you have to be very careful. You can't. They the rules are don't give it the name from a country or a region because yeah. that then you know puts a bit of a negative stamp on that. Don't name it after a person. You know, it's, it's not as straightforward, you know, as you might think. I mean, certainly some of the other milder coronaviruses that infect humans have got the very unsexy names of, you know, OC43 and 229E. <laughs> so there's a bit of a tradition yeah. of having coronaviruses with, you know, pretty ordinary names out there. Yes, well, uh, you couldn't call it the the, uh, the China virus, for, for, for example, for uh, for obvious reasons. I think the swine flu was uh, named as such, but the transmission wasn't actually by a pig, so a lot of uh, a lot of pigs got slaughtered unnecessarily. Well, exactly, that was a very unfortunate um, terminology. So I think that it'll be interesting to see where this one ends up. Um, at the moment, I'm still referring to it as others do as the 2019 novel coronavirus. Well, for, for want of another name, that, 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 that's what you've got to do. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, okay. Um, so, so with yourselves and uh, novel coronavirus, your shares have had a big run on on the back of uh, some reporting of your uh, programs. But they, uh, the market does seem to be getting excited about your work on pan-respiratory diseases generally. And uh, you have sort of recently updated the market on what you're doing. So perhaps you could just outline uh, the uh, the program. Yeah, sure. So we've actually had a very long-term interest in coronaviruses back from, you know, that first SARS outbreak back in 2003. So just by a brief bit of background, Biotron's main focus is on developing small molecule drugs to target a broad range of different viral diseases. We have um, our speciality is designing compounds that or drugs that target a particular part of the virus um, that other people tend to not go near. There are these proteins called viriporins, which are involved in the pathogenesis or infectivity of a broad range of different viruses. Now, back in 2003, when SARS came along, we um, had a look at that time when the virus that virus was first sequenced and identified that hey this this target that we go after it looks like there's one of these in the SARS virus and um, it's actually another unsexy name called the E protein. Now we subsequently looked at a whole lot of other coronaviruses showed they had this same thing. We published on this, it was a world first showing that, hey, this interesting protein is present in this virus. Uh, We published that in 2004 and 2006. And we then developed, you know, designed compounds or drugs that would target that particular 
um, protein. Now we have a range of really quite good compounds in our um, compound library, in our proprietary compound library, which have good activity against a lot of different coronaviruses. You know, the ones that cause mild respiratory infections, you know, the um, OC43 and 229E coronaviruses, as well as some animal coronaviruses and the SARS. Now, as we know, the SARS sort of came and went and it really isn't a you know, commercial target. So we we have not continued the work on the SARS, but we have been working on other human coronaviruses, the ones that cause mild respiratory infections. The reason for that is they're one of these these viruses cause responsible for a lot of what people consider the common cold. So if you go to the doctor and you've got you know runny nose, don't have a fever, but you know you've got cold like symptoms, there's a range of about maybe five or six different viruses that could cause those symptoms. Now, for most people, it's just a bit of an inconvenience. But if you have some underlying things such as asthma or COPD, um, you can get quite severe exacerbations and hospitalizations. So what we've been interested in as one of our earlier stage programs that we're working on in the background is can you come up with a pan-respiratory agent? What we mean by that is can you develop a drug which will target is proteins that you know, is our speciality at working on in these viruses and come up with a compound that will work on all of those viruses that are involved with these mild respiratory infections. And so part of that, our coronavirus work is continuing. So that's where we've been really sitting for the last so long and where it's quite an interesting program. So now with this, the new novel coronavirus has come along. I mean, as you know, this is very recent, the, um, this outbreak. And in fact, you know, while we were interested initially in, in it, it was like, is this going to be done and dusted within a week? Is there um, going to be a need for, for, you know, a drug for this? And also there was no way initially to see if your drugs had any activity against this new virus. Nobody outside of China had it up and running. And I think you I think it's only really quite recently that a group at the in Melbourne at the Doherty Institute were in a world first managed to, you know, isolate the virus and now make it available to other um, places around the world so that people can work on it. And in our case, we can now test um, some of our drugs, which have shown really good activity against these other coronaviruses. Let's look and see whether they are, um, have good activity against this new one. Yes, okay. But uh, I would imagine that uh, you're not going to develop a, a drug per se and, and, and no one else is uh, in terms of uh, tackling this particular outbreak. So it's so something... Uh, it's something really for future outbreaks and, as you say, as a pan-respiratory treatment for, for various mutations which, which, which may appear. That's really right. That's, I think, for any of these um, developments, it takes does take a while. So it is really for the next outbreak. But this, might, this current outbreak may continue on. And we do have some compounds that are quite advanced in terms of information on the, the toxicity and in terms of safety. So if one, if one of those compounds was to show good activity against this, that could be fast-tracked. Um, so it really, it, it remains a very fluid situation. I think one of the important take-home messages, though, of course, is that 
these viruses keep coming along. You know, we keep seeing these outbreaks of new viruses. Um, you know, we certainly see the outbreaks of Ebola regularly through Africa. Yeah. Um, Zika virus that came along a couple of years ago, the MERS-CoV, now this one. It means that, you know, you need to be ready. And how can we start being more proactive um, and ready for these outbreaks and come up with drugs in advance that have a broad range of activity against these classes? And I guess that's really what, um, why, where we're positioned with how we develop drugs against these viruses. Yes. And have you actually uh, started the fast tracking process? Uh, because the pan-respiratory uh, program, it's, it's a secondary program for you, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it, but it's, what's interesting is that when we're out and we talk to pharmaceutical companies and talk to clinicians, you know, say five years ago, it would not have been something that was on people's radar. But in the last couple of years, it's like, actually, hey, we're, we're talking about doing this. This is something that is pretty exciting. They can see the medical need. Of course, it's a really strong economic need. Uh, and it's something that I'm hoping that this year we'll be able to put more resources into. Okay, great. All right. Um, and in the meantime, you do have your main programs, uh, particularly particularly with the HIV. Uh, now, you had very significant results last year. Could you just sort of quickly talk us through where you're at with that program? Yes, yeah, certainly. So the HIV eradication program remains our, you know, our flagship program. That's our lead program. We've completed phase two human trials, which means we're really, you know, quite advanced um, towards having a drug that will be on the market um, with that particular indication. I think you know, you're, you're certainly aware that current um, antiretroviral treatment for HIV is certainly very effective in that it keeps the virus under control. It gets rid of virus from the T cells, um, which are the ones you need to keep healthy to keep people healthy. But the reality is the virus never goes away. It gets sets up in reservoirs around the body. And as soon as somebody stops taking drugs, that virus can rebound. Now, you can keep, it's fine. You can keep people on drugs now, once a day tablet, um, minimal side effects. That's actually a pretty good situation. The reality is, though, having that virus there long term in the body, slowly replicating, means that there's always a heightened level of inflammation in those patients. And there's more um, negative health outcomes um, in, in, those, in that population. That's right. They be aging too, wouldn't they? The the, the initial batch of, of AIDS patients, sort of from the the nineteen eighties. So, yeah, and that's right. They're getting older, and often people then take other need other drugs. That's right. All getting a bit older, and you know the drug drug interactions. So now there's a push to you know why don't we we need to actually get rid of this and doing more drugs of the same is not the best way to do it. So where Biotron is different is that we have um, our lead drug with the um, interesting name of BIT-225, named as such because it's a 225th compound in our library. One day we need to give it a really new fancy name, but, you know, that's a whole new problem um, and challenge. But this targets the virus that's in the reservoir cells. That's, that's what it does. It targets that and kills that. Now, what was really interesting, though, for us in our um, phase two trial was that in, in addition to working on this virus that remains in these reservoirs and clearing that out, the drug basically works to unmask 
the virus in the cells. Now, viruses and bodies have a very interesting relationship. The virus's job is to get into a, into a, into a body, get into cells and replicate. And the body's job is to make sure that doesn't happen. To get rid of them, so, yes. Yeah. So viruses have um, particular proteins which serve to downregulate the immune response in those areas so the immune system can't see that the virus is present in those cells. So it sort of goes into stealth mode. And that's one of the reasons why the reservoirs are established and why they are such so, you know, keep keep going is because, you know, the virus is in stealth mode. Now, what it looks like what we've done is have unmasked that virus. Um, we target a particular protein in the HIV called VPU, and its job is exactly that is to you know hide the virus from the immune system so we it looks like the immune response that we got in these patients was an unexpected finding because of course you can't see this when you're doing cell cultures and we hadn't really looked for this aspect in the earlier trials we did but when we did the phase two we looked at a whole lot of different outcomes and we saw hey in addition to targeting the virus in these reservoirs, we're actually unmasking this. And now the immune system can see these remnant virus that's there. So this is a pretty exciting um, outcome because there's a real interest in you know, therapeutic vaccines for viruses, you know, trying to boost the body's immune system to get rid of you know, vi virus in addition to using drugs. So we're pretty excited by this result and you know, other people are too. And we're now progressing to designing, um, I guess, the later stage clinical clinical studies of how to take this forward um, through to the final stage of clinical development. Yes, yes, and it's quite interesting from an investor perspective because they they got uh, they got very excited about this, and uh, because because you're talking about a uh, in effect a cure, justly so. But then investors being invested, they they, they seem, to get, seem to get a bit bored. But then coronavirus came along, and uh, you've sort of had another run. Yeah, well, you know, the, you, you sort of know the um, the joys of the Australian market where, I mean, I think any market in the world is always, um, you know, fear and greed and people like news. But uh, the Australian market, I think, is particularly prone to overreact to good news and, and overreact to bad news, the opposite direction, where really what you want is a good, solid growth of your stock um, rather than um, massive amounts of trade. Um, and that often attracts people who don't really understand what, what they're investing in. Um, but, the, you know, the reality is that we have, we're not just a one-drug company. You know, the HIV program, having completed Phase two trial, is actually pretty exciting and pretty advanced for an Australian biotech. You know, with this drug, we've now done nine human clinical trials. That's pretty phenomenal for, you know, an Australian biotech to have achieved this, to go from designing something to, you know, making compounds to going through the whole drug development, the early drug development process and coming out the other side in, with phase two data showing, hey, it's safe, looks great, getting really interesting um, activity data, we're, we're pretty happy about. But we have our other programs as well. So it's not just just that. That's our lead and the one we're putting most of our resources into. But, you know, the, the coronavirus and respiratory program is coming along. And also, of course, the hepatitis B. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. In, term, in terms of the register, uh, it sounds like you'd like more institutional support to... Uh 
sort of stabilise the share trading? And Exactly. I mean, having we, we tend to have always had a small um, proportion of our stock that changes hands often. Um, yes. But have a, most of our major shareholders are, you know, pretty sticky. They've been there for a long time. Um, they're very supportive. They've been very supportive through our um, capital raisings and we're certainly always extremely appreciative, you know, to those to those um, individuals. Having an institutions on your register is always a very positive thing. Is it the time or opportunity to raise more funds? Uh... Look, the reality is that we're pretty well um, cashed up right now. We had um, some listed options that, ex- that expired in December last year, December 2019, and they were um, exercised raising about five and a half million um, dollars so we currently have you know close to nine million dollars in the bank which for for us is means we're pretty well cashed up and at this point in time you know certainly have more than enough funds for our current and anticipated um, operations through this next um, two-year period so we're not actively looking to capital raise right now. Uh, Great and finally how, how about partnering? You're, you're looking around, I presume, for a, for a big brother. Well, yes, of course. That's that's the that's the end game, and that's really is, you know, our main focus. Everything we do is with that end game in mind. Like, what does a farmer want to see? What, how is this going to fit into um, the current treatment landscape? What is the key things that we need to do to get to get that deal? So I spend. The various members of my team, um, quite a bit of time overseas. Um, a, we present presenting our our work and our science at conferences matters because you know the bottom line is the science has got to be solid, it's got to be good, and having meetings with um, pharmaceutical companies that are active in this space. That's an ongoing process. It's never fast, um, but we're pretty optimistic of how um, our data is being received. And I think the other thing that's really interesting is that, you know, this is, as I said, it's a phase two program for the HIV, but also getting a lot of interest in our hepatitis B. Hepatitis B is a much earlier program, still preclinical, and yet that's an area that pharma has said they're very interested in that space. There's been some very big deals in that. If you look at the numbers worldwide, there's over 300 million people infect with hepatitis B around the world. It's the leading cause of liver cancer. If you look at all the liver cancers out there, about 80% of them are due to hepatitis B. Uh, And there's a real need for similar wording to HIV, actually, how to not just put get rid of the flares when they come up, because there are drugs that take care of that, but how can we actually eradicate this virus? How can we get rid of it entirely? It's a tricky virus. Um, we're very lucky that we have some absolute world experts associated with us on this, which puts us in a really interesting position in terms of our expertise. Uh, what we have is different and unique, knocks down markers um, that people want to see knocked down with Hep B. And with the players that are in the space are looking at doing combination studies. So even though it's very early, um, the possibility of a, you know, a deal for this with an early stage so it can be combined with other drugs that are at the same stage of development to go through the clinic is actually pretty high. And we're you know, really very optimistic about that particular program. 
Yeah, yeah, great, Michelle. It sounds like there's a lot of uh, progress being made with Hep B and with, with coronavirus, we'll, we'll wait and see, but hopefully it's the same. I'm, I'm sure there'll be uh, a lot of sustained investor interest in Biotron and we look forward to hearing more from you. So thanks for coming in, Michelle. Oh, that's okay. Thanks, Tim. I was happy to be here and update you on our activities. A pleasure. 